and welcome to episode 25 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, sets, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, can you believe we have made it to this completely arbitrary 25th episode together? I hadn't thought about it until you just said that, but that's an 25. important number. 25. Next week is six months. Here's what? 25 more years of the dive down. <laughs> We've been doing this for almost half a year. Incredible. Yeah. What should we do to celebrate our half birthday? Mm, we could buy me some Cavernous Souls, like as a group, like as a present for me. <laughs> I think we re- could record a two hour plus long podcast. That's a good idea. <laughs> I think I hear the Godfather talking. Is that Dave Harbarger? It's me. It's a no-nonsense kind of day, so let's roll these beautiful card footage. You hear that, Zach? No nonsense. You're going to like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Whip us into shape, Zach Callham. I, I love Magic the Gathering. Today, someone at work said, you look happy today, and I was thinking about casting Call God's Command, so that's where I'm at in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you were thinking about modern three years ago when it was still good or oh no i'm thinking about a deck that i'm brewing out of a card we're going to talk about later today whoa 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 you said the b word i'm brewing home brewing <laughs> wow i like it sir you've had enough brew for one night <laughs> sir i need to ask you to leave this week we're picking up right where we left off with the second half of our modern horizons set review Once again, we'll be using the Dive Down's beloved Sleeve, Believe, Heave grading system. And to recap, Sleeve means we think the card will definitely see play. Believe means we think it might see play because it's good or interesting, but we're not exactly sure where it belongs. And Heave means we think the card will not see play in Modern. Since set reviews are so long, and there's not really any tournament stuff to recap this week, we'll be skipping the breakdown again, but we will return to our regular format next week. Without further ado, let's do some quick housekeeping. Shout out to the newest Dive Down patrons, Kyle M, Colin T, Parker S, Martin D, Chris B, Heath H, and Tyler M. Thank you all for joining the official Dive Down Nation. If you would like to support the Dive Down, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down, all one word. And also thanks to Lawless25 for the friendly iTunes review. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, everyone, we're really super close to reaching our second stretch goal, which is going to be creating some custom tokens with a really amazing professional comic book artist. And right after that, we really have our third stretch goal of getting some Patreon-exclusive playmats created. And a stretch goal after that everyone's really going to love is a monthly bonus episode where our patrons suggest and vote on the topic of the show. Bonus! <laughs> we know that not everyone has the extra cash to throw our way, but if you enjoy the show, if you want to support us, we would really love to have you as a patron of the Dive Down. Our Slack chat's awesome. As more members join it, it's getting even better. We have some awesome patron benefits going out to everyone soon. So if you're curious, go check out patreon.com slash the Dive Down to learn more. Thank you, Shane. Thanks again to all of our patrons and soon-to-be patrons. Let's jump right into the set review. As of today, as of recording, we have the full spoiler for Modern Horizons. So in this episode, we're going to complete the discussion of the set and cover all the cards that we did not cover last week. Yeah, so we'll go in uh, Wooburg order. 
So because there's so many cards and we don't want to waste people's time talking about cards we think just aren't modern playable, anything that we just gave, we all gave heave, we're going to skip right past and we'll just only talk about cards that some of us believe or we all sleeve or something like that. So we're going to skip past Answered Prayers, we're going to skip past Enduring Sliver, and a few of us like Ephemerate, and Ephemerate reads, it's a single white mana for an instant, exile, target creature you control then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. Then it has Rebound. And I think this is the first card we're reading with Rebound, so I'll explain it. So if you cast this spell from your hand, exile it as it resolves. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast this card from exile without paying its mana cost. So basically you cast it uh, one turn, and then during your next upkeep, it, it gets cast again for free. So I actually gave this a heave, but my co-hosts all believe it. The reason I gave it a heave is I'm trying to determine if this is really worth a card because all it does, anyway, all in quotes here is is blink, but it blinks twice, which is fun, but it relies on you kind of setting up having a creature that you want to blink that's already on the battlefield. A card like Eldrazi Displacer which is what I thought about when I saw this, is great because you're able to blink your own stuff, but it also you know blink your opponent's creatures that you don't control as well. So this is a little bit more limiting than that. And obviously, you know, it has a much smaller cost. But what do you guys think? This is definitely like believe minus for me. I think it's a card that might be good in the right deck. I mean, there's some kind of Abzani comes into play decks that are out there right now the thing that's dangerous about this card is that um in order to get value out of both halves of it your your opponent has to not kill your creatures in between the first time you use it and the second time you get to use rebound or otherwise it really becomes a really bad card so of course i would prefer this effect to say something like draw a card at the end i mean i think anybody would but um i I think the price is right and the fact that you get to do it twice is also a little bit of potential so that that's it so a version of this card already exists in Cloud Shift, which is it's the same card without the rebound effect. So this is the first card that is exactly this. And I mean, Eldrazi Displacer is good, but it's good for different reasons. Yeah. So this, I believe it because it is the only card that does what it does twice for one mana. Anything else that is has two bounces for it is like a flashback that's pretty expensive. So I think that it opens up some cool design space and it maybe allows an ETB deck to be a little more playable. I think the point of what comes out is relevant, but I don't super know. I think it's fringe playable. Yeah, I'm a believer as well because it's so cheap. You're just spending a single white mana to get this effect twice and you can do it at instant speed. And I find that the hints of some blink synergies, especially in this set, including what sees some play on the fringes of modern, make me think that because of the cost of this spell, because of its instant speed, there are enough decent ETB creatures in modern that this could find a home. So we're going to skip a few more cards. We're not going to talk about Face of Divinity, First Liver's Chosen, Gilded Light, Irregular Cohort, Knight of Old Benalia, or Lancer Sliver, but we do want to chat a little bit about On Thin Ice, which is a snow enchantment aura that that costs white, and it reads, Enchant Snowland you control. When Onthin Ice enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until Onthin Ice leaves the battlefield. And I read this believe. I'm actually the only believer currently of this card, and I think it seems great. I really like it with the color fixing mana rock that we're going to talk a little bit later in this set, especially. And the synergies between this being 
a one mana spell and the number of snow permanents across colors that we're seeing in the set makes me wonder if perhaps future snow decks are four or five colors in which case this seems like a pretty good removal spell because you can attach it to a snow permanent that your opponent can't really interact with so the comparison to change of the rocks comes to mind obviously this is a little better uh, as you don't have a color requirement aside from the white casting costs yeah exactly i don't think it's i am like a soft heave I could see like a mono white, you know, one of those Nikthos Elish Norn decks running this and just running all snow covered planes. I think that's really how I felt about a lot of these snow cards is I'm not going to use them, but they give other weird fringe decks a little more utility. Uh, a card we'll talk about later, I think, gives, uh, you know, 10 rack utility, stuff like that. There's a lot of other fringe decks that are getting support. So I, I think it's cool, but I don't think Control wants to run it. I think they run, like, they have to fetch basics then, which is totally fine, but. It just seems a little iffy for a small payoff. Yeah, I would really like to like this card too, but I feel like Chain of the Rocks is just not powerful enough in modern, even without the color requirement that comes out of having to put it on a mountain. Sorcery speed is kind of too much. I know that it doesn't ramp your opponent, so uh, maybe there's a little bit of kind of help there to make this card, but I, I think that this is just kind of like not enough. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Change of the Rocks saw some really marginal play in like Borrow, Spur, and Sideboards, but it's just not being touched there really anymore. I think it could potentially see play, but I'm going to give it a heave. I do like that it counts as a snow permanent, and we have seen some cards that want you to have a higher quantity of snow permanents on the battlefield, so that's at least decent. But we'll have to see what happens with snow stuff, and I think based on what we've seen last week and this week, I'm not sure what's there as a you know, marginally competitive snow-based deck, besides Scred, of course. Well, thank you. I don't think there exists one because there's not fetchable duels or duels that don't come into play tapped. Like, I've brewed a red-green one, and I'm brewing a red-black one right now, and you kind of have to play those lands right now. Like, you need a, probably at least one or two in your deck, and they just... Like, there's no condition where they come into play untapped, and it's a really feel-bad moment. Word. Well, we'll see. Uh, so the next card on the list and one that we're going to talk about is Recruit the Worthy. Recruit the Worthy costs a single white mana. It is an instant. It has buyback three, and it says create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. And in case you forget what buyback does, the text of that says... Or never knew. Or, the case or never knew. <laughs> so buyback says you may pay an additional three as you cast this spell. If you do, put this card into your hand as it resolves. So this is another one where a few of us believe that it could see play. Uh, one of us in particular thinks it's a throw-in-the-garbage card. I think that this could be a spell in a in a deck that wants both a token and a spell trigger of some kind. So I, I think that 4CMC buyback is pretty cheap. Being able to just use it for one mana is cheap if you ever want to just bail out as a chump blocker, although that's like the pits in modern. That would be a bad play in limited even, I think. So, yeah. so I feel that this is kind of like something that i have on the watch list and that's kind of it for sure i agree i think it's just it's super cheap it makes a body it can operate at instant speed it can work in maybe some kind of long game spell triggery type deck so i'm kind of a believe minus on it yeah buyback is a super good mechanic the card sprout swarm doesn't see a ton of play 
which has Convoke and Buyback, but the Premier Token deck in Modern right now is white-black. I mean, not Premier. If Premier in that it's a modern playable deck, but that deck is white-black and it doesn't run green. People have tried to stretch it to green and it doesn't really work. So maybe this could go in there, even a sideboard card for the control matchup. Maybe that's crazy, but if it's going to see play anywhere right now, it's that deck. Maybe some other you know, blue-white spell triggers decks happen. I don't know, but right now, maybe tokens play. The fact that it's instant speed and one mana, I think, is notable, but I personally don't think this is that much better than a one mana one one with flash, if you know what I mean. And that buyback cost is relevant, but I'm not immediately seeing the deck that really wants to be spending four mana on a repeatable one one either. So I'm pretty skeptical, and that's why I had it as heave. I mean, there is a scenario, and I'm sure there are better cards to be playing than this scenario, but if you could generate infinite white mana, you could also great, create an infinitely large board of white creatures. Love it. I'll play that deck, sure. <laughs> infinite white mana. Can't wait for us to figure out yes. how to generate that. Yeah. Yikes. With all those white rituals. Right. <laughs> so we're going to be skipping over a good little batch of cards right here. So we'll be skipping over Reprobation, Rocks Veteran, Settle Beyond Reality, Shelter, Soul Strike Technique, Stirring Addressed, Trustworthy Scout, Valiant Changeling. We are going to talk about Vesper Lurk. I can't believe how many we just had to heave in a row. Everything's just too expensive. Yeah. You know, it's, like, I mean, look at Settle Beyond Reality. It's like too expensive for limited, in my opinion, for this set. Oh, yeah. It honestly, it reminds me of a Champions of Kamigawa card. It'll probably see playing limited. That's not a good thing. That's not a positive thing to say about a card. Yeah, I mean, I think we're just kind of like, there were a lot of commons in this section that yeah. we saw in the final spoiler, and so yeah. that's what's happening here is that we're just, it's easy to filter things out. Yeah. Which is not to say that commons are not going to be modern playable. We're going to talk about a fair amount of commons and uncommons today based on the nature of the cards that are available to us, but... I don't think too many people are going to be shocked by the cards that we skip. So anyway, Vesper Lark. Vesper Lark. Vesper Lark is two and a white for a 2-1 flying elemental. When Vesper Lark leaves the battlefield, return target creature card with power one or less from your garret to the battlefield. Then it has a Vogue for one and a white, where you can play this spell for its evoke cost. If you do, it's sacrificed when it enters the battlefield. So it briefly pips in, triggers its ability when it leaves. Great blink target. Yeah, exactly. It goes very well with that other card. So I think this is a, a definitely interesting card. It seems powerful. It's cheap. It seems like it slides right into that deck with Kitchen Finks and all those other cards. I don't know exactly what it's getting back off the top of my head. And like I saw some lists online and all the targets seemed like goofy and questionable. So mm. I'm not. that's why I'm not a sleeve-it. I'm only a believe-it on this one. But it seems like it has a lot of raw power, and if it's not broken now, it's at least going to be a value engine somewhere. Yeah, anything that returns cards to battlefields instead of just your hands is asking for some kind of potentially interesting and powerful combo. Yeah, that's basically where I'm at. You know, I think cards like this are designed to either be part of a combo or to exploit really strong synergies. So I'm even believe plus... I'd be kind of surprised if this never sees play. And we already know about some hilarious combos, in my opinion, with Gigantomancer, which is like an eight mana one one, as well as Body Double. So I think this card has a ton of potential and is basically waiting to get broken. Yeah, that's the same way I feel about it, too. Except for I think I'm a little bit more bearish on it. I have it, kind of, I would think of it as a middle believe, believe minus. Yeah, I'm a believer. 
All right, so we're skipping past Blizzard Strix, just too expensive at five mana. We've got Cunning Evasion, probably a heave for us all. Except for me, I'm the sole believer. And the reason I want to defend this card is because I kind of like how it interacts with ninjas. And it seems like it could make combat really annoying for the opposing player. So it's probably not good enough for a deck like Spirits. Or if it's better in a deck that would exploit strong, enter the battlefield effects. But because there isn't a ton of great blocking going on in modern, in my opinion, I don't think you have to play this on turn two even to get a ton of value out of it. I don't know. This card seems tricky. And for two mana, maybe there's going to be some fringe deck that can make it work. All right, Stan, we'll believe you when it happens. Um, but we'll talk about Echo of Aeons right now or Echo of Eons right now, which is a four blue blue sorcery which reads, each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into the library, then draws seven cards. Um, sounds familiar, sounds like Days Undoing, but it also has a flashback cost of two and a blue, which is the same cost as Days Undoing. It doesn't have the if it's your turn, end the turn stuff going on, but that's not really why people play that card typically. No, that's a downside. That's a huge downside of oh, Days <laughs> Undoing. That's, yeah. We'd prefer if it didn't have that text. Yeah, exactly. That's why Days Undoing is not Time Twister. Actually, discarding your hand can be good. Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about I'm my com- one with nothing deck again? <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm a believer on this, mainly because I'm unsure how to evaluate it. The four blue-blue is kind of pricey um, for the cost out of the gate, but the flashback cost is the same as Days Undoing, and it's pretty much strictly superior to it. So I'm just a believer, and I think the Narset deck would love this. Conley Woods and other Narset combo players are definitely going to play around with this card. So Narset sends her regards. My issue is, having played that Narset deck, is I'm not convinced it's good enough for modern. You know, the lock is strong, but the package surrounding it has some really big vulnerabilities. So I'm on believe, even though we basically know the deck this is going to go into, I'm just not sure that it's necessarily a modern viable deck yet. Do you think that the redundancy brought on by this doesn't shore up what the deck's weaknesses are or doesn't make it that much faster or anything? Is that what your concern is? My concern has to do with this does nothing to address the deck's weaknesses. It could potentially make it a little bit more consistent. But for me playing the Narset combo, the hardest thing for me to deal with was when my opponent cast like two creatures. <laughs> I got a one, one and a two, two. Oh, yeah, no. And I was like, oh, oh no, because I lose this one. <laughs> yeah. You got me. Pack it up. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I was a sleeve originally, and maybe I'm moving closer to a sleeve minus. I think that this seems very good. This seems very, very good, but I think I have sometimes trouble uh, sort of analyzing like what amount to like vintage power level cards because they just seem so very good but maybe it's not enough for modern this is clearly very good for other formats you know what i think though to my own point and that the one of the biggest weaknesses for narsa combo was creature matchups the black force might help solve that problem and currently the conley woods deck is running blue black so maybe if it finds some more blue black split cards to make the most out of you know, it's force of negation effects as well as the black force. This could be another good tool to help make that deck more consistent. So, so I think this card is just good, actually. And I have it as a sleeve it. 
And the one question I wanted to ask you guys was, because I think you're kind of hyper-focusing on this Narset deck because that's the place that it feels like it's it makes the most sense right now. I'm not sure that this is a combo card in that sense or that it's going to be restricted to just that kind of play. Because, so how many of you guys have cast a Wheel of Fortune or a Time Twister before? Anybody? Sadly, no. No, I'm too young. Okay, so in, in another chapter of Dave Talks About Cards that used to be in his favorite decks back when in revised and unlimited days, you know, both of those cards were cards that often got run in decks just for value at that point in time. So let's talk about why you would run a card like this just for value. And that's because, you know, even though it has a symmetrical effect, your deck is set up to break the symmetry of that effect in some way. Okay. And the way that commonly you would advantageously cast a discard your hand draw seven is by being a person who can play your hand faster than your opponent can play their hand Mm -hmm. so would you call that virtual card advantage dave i don't i mean i think it's actually real card advantage in this sense because you actually get to draw more new cards than your opponent does so if you manage to make this the last card that you cast you get seven new cards where they only get four new cards out of it oh yeah 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 yeah. so you know what i mean like if they have three cards in, in hand for example in that sense, and because of Modern's proclivity for putting cards in the graveyard through different mm-hmm. effects, I think there is a decent chance that a card like this might get run for value in some type of shell and not just be a combo piece in something like Narset. Now, the truth is, in the Narset deck, they have a ton of discard effects, self-selecting discard effects. They have Lore Broker, I think is the name of the card, and they have Gyre Reach Sanitarium. So they have a lot of ways to get cards into their graveyard as well. So it's because of those reasons that I think that this card is probably powerful enough to just see someplace somewhere as a way to get cards as long as your deck is set up for it. So Dave, you said we were focusing too much on the Narset deck, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you can really have a conversation about this card without addressing Narset, specifically with regard to what you said about decks playing this spell have tools to break the symmetry. And I'm not sure if there's been a tool to break the symmetry better than Narset ever printed. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. And Narset is seeing a ton of play right now. And so that's another thing that actually makes this card maybe a little bit worse is that it might be hard for you to cast it if your opponent is playing Narset too. But um, I think you're you're right. That's kind of if you want to go wombo combo with it though. I think there's plenty of ways where you just run this in a deck with Faithless Looting and then grind your hand out, get card selection, cast all your cards, and fill up your graveyard, have one card left, and cast this to refill your hand at the end of the whole chain. And then if you're at a point where you have extra mana left, you get to actually just keep casting cards, which is the other thing that was really good about about Wheel of Fortune and uh, Time Twister as well, is that they don't end your turn when you cast them, so you get to use some of the cards. I mean, some people played for that effect, so I don't know. I would probably be be way more excited if it was an instant. It's probably way too strong for instant speed like <laughs> yeah, truly busted. End, end so of your turn <laughs> ultra shadow mythic rare yeah i feel like there's a shot this is this is actually a good card all right so we're gonna actually talk about the next card in the set and it's everdream this is one in a blue instant draw a card splice onto instant or sorcery for two in a blue so as you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may reveal this card from your hand and pay its splice cost. If you do, add this card's effect to that spell. And this is an uncommon. And I've actually got this as a heave because I don't think paying two mana to draw a card is good. I don't really like playing think twice ever. 
What do you guys got? But isn't there some kind of world where you could pretty realistically just pay for the splice cost a few times in a game and just sort of have a good source of card advantage there? That's pretty expensive for modern. And I think at that point, you're like entering four mana, draw a card territory, plus whatever other effect you're getting. But it's like... You just get to do it over and over again. Or four mana, draw two cards, which we talked about on last time being something that people actually do in blue-white control. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at this as as a novel, unique card that allows people to just simply draw a card without going down the card in their hand when they splice it. Yeah, um, I think this card is believable just because I have played Scred for a long time and there are plenty of games where you're in top deck mode and being able to like hold on to this and turn everything into an extra draw spell is going to get you there. So I think this needs to be in a deck that has like finishers or like, you know, like a hard hitter that you're trying to get into. I think maybe it could honestly combo with a, an enchantment we're going to talk about later, the one where you can get a Marriott Lage token. I think that might be good in that deck, like a blue-red weird Scred build. We're not going to talk about that deck, and that's me totally guessing. <laughs> but a weird, grindy uh, sort of deck like that would would like this card. So that's why I'm a Believe It. Yeah, I'm on Believe It, too, for similar reasons. I just feel like Splice onto Instant or Sorcery seems pretty, pretty conspicuous to me. So I'm just keeping an eye on this sure. card. Stan, exactly. imagine where you can pay four mana, bolt, and draw a card. Yeah, sounds great. Out of your blue moon deck. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that sounds great. If I I can now spend three mana to draw two cards at instant speed, thanks to Archmage's Charm. So everything else seems pretty bad. Three blue that. mana, though. So hey, you can't cast it all the time. It's the most castable color in Magic. <laughs> but here's the thing. The thing, Stan, is that you could do it like two or three or four times in a game depending on how long this game's going and how well you're controlling it. I hear that. I think that's the best argument for it. I'm not convinced that's the best way to be spending your excess mana. Sure. Next up, we're going to skip over Ikite. I- oh, that's an awkward name. Um, cool dragon. Not a dragon. I think we're going <laughs> to talk really quickly about Fairy Seer. And Fairy Seer is one blue mana, a single blue mana, to be clear and it has flying it's a one one and when fairy seer enters the battlefield you scry too so clearly this is just better than serum visions right <laughs> <laughs> why would you throw that grenade in here 100 percent agree never play serum visions again yeah just play this it's a creature i mean that's as good as a card right I just kind of have Fairy Seer as a believe uh, to be an off-ramp into fairies, basically. Like, hey, maybe this is a card that will help you make Spell Stutter Sprite quite a bit better because you'll have extra fairies around at the beginning at the beginning of the game. Um, not sure if this is enough to make that deck as a more linear tribe more playable, but maybe. I am a heave for the same genre of reasons that you like it. I, I think that calling the deck fairies which we all do and that's what it's called is like not really what the deck is like the there's not really a ton of tribal payoffs there's bitter blossom which is cool and spellstutter sprite is a quote-unquote tribal payoff but there's no lords or anything you're not rewarded for attacking with those creatures and i think that the current incarnation of fairies also really wants to be doing hand disruption on turn one that or getting a tapped land into play so i think that this has diminishing returns later and it's always going to be a one one there's no pumps for it so I think if fairies ran a lord or two, that'd be different and this would be better. But I think the how small it is is not going to get it there, ultimately. Fairies used to run lords. 
though. Oh, you know fair enough. I mean? Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It exists. Yeah, I'd like to introduce you to a card named uh, called Scion of Una. Fair, fair, fair. Which you know is a Flash Lord. Even again, I'm not sure that this is the kind of like linear aggro deck that you're looking for, really. I mean, as I look at this now, I'm kind of like, isn't Spirits just better than this card still, and all that kind of stuff? But that you know, mm-hmm. Zach, you, you said I liked this card. I would say like is a pretty strong term for how I feel about this card. You love it. Yeah, <laughs> I was like a I was like a believe question mark because I don't know really how fairies operates very well. So after hearing this, I'm just going to move it to a heave, and I think we can probably just bounce along. Right, move along. Okay. I also heave. Hey guys, remember Stan? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's me. I heave it. Bye. We're gonna go ahead and skip over Future Sight and Iceberg Kencrix. Kentrix. Why do crabs hate libraries so much? I mean, it's a good question. Because they have no fingers to turn the page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's addressed in the, the direct-to-DVD Little Mermaid sequel. So. I, I think crabs <laughs> mostly don't believe in public public funding of utilities that not everybody uses. <laughs> God. We will be talking about Merit Lage's Slumber, though, which is one in a blue for a legendary snow enchantment. Whenever Merit Lage's Slumber or another snow permanent enters a battlefield under your control, scry one. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 10 or more snow permanents, sacrifice Merit Lage of Slumber. If you do, create Merit Lage, a legendary 2020 black avatar creature token with flying and indestructible. This is dope. Uh, I wish it was red, but it is cool. It is very cool. So, like, is this the exact same Merit Lage as in Dark Depths? Yes. Yes. This is your new Dark Depths. You get to use your old token. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole thing is like when the Ice Age is finally there or something, they awake. I'm not super familiar with the lore on this one, but it's cool that there's like two different like in lore ways to summon the creature. One of them is banned in modern, by the way. This yes. is the only modern legal way to create this token. So you all played limited with the ascend mechanic, right? We were all playing limited then. Yeah, this is the first thing I thought of when I saw this card too. Yeah, this was not. It was not that hard. Oh, you mean get. City's Blessing? City's Blessing is what you got. The mechanic oh, was sure, called sure. ascend. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, to get City's Blessing, you had to have 10 permanents. Gotcha. Kind, right? Sorry, thank you, thank you. And that was really not that hard. Nope, not at all. What and about then, modern? And, and it, no, and yeah, well, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, you basically would have to be like a snow control deck, right? Which is where I mentioned that I think the draw spice card might have a home in a weird deck like that, where you're playing red removal and blue efficiency and card draw. But I think this card is cool. I'm going to believe it just because a 2020 Indestructible Flying is cool and unique and it's fun. And like in the right deck, you can play that and protect it. And like one hit does it, right? So I think it's a little novel. And like I'm ready to believe that maybe 10 is just too many. But this is cool. And I mean, if I have to make Scred Red Blue, so be it. I prefer not to, but maybe this is the real deal. It feels powerful, certainly. Yeah, I think this is totally a believe. I mean, I can see this this making it. I mean, the the scry tacked onto it, it's just kind of a nice little added benefit for a deck that is going to need to control things for a while. So you do have the ability to control your draws a little bit while you're working towards uh, unleashing Merit Lage. Um, Counting any snow permanent is pretty generous on it. So this is an instance where you might want that, you know, chain to the snow land type thing. So Yeah, my issue with it and why i'm a believe minus personally is because it seems very difficult to cheat out and i think that's kind of what i'd want to be doing with a spell like this is find a way to 
get that token out as unfairly as possible. And my concern is that this card is designed to be abundantly fair. I don't think there's any way you can cheat this out, in all honesty. Yeah. There's no tokens. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically just kind of play a bunch of those mana rocks that have... That are snow type, like Cold Steel Heart. There's and, two of them. There yeah. are two. And one's not even Mana Rock. It's a mana filtering card. We'll you talk played, about it later. You play two of them. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever low casting cost permanence you can do with a snow mechanic and then lands and you just hope that you get there in a time and control the board. Um, I'm not 100% sold on this being a thing, but I do think it's possible that this could spawn some kind of control deck as well. Question. How many copies of this do you think a deck has to run for it to be an actual reliable win con or plan i don't think it has to be a reliable win con i think it's like a plan b right i think maybe you run two or three of these tops and like you're just a control deck that can do this sometimes too it's like a better search res canta in that sense yeah what i like about it is that you do not have to play it early and just have it survive while you like you when you play a snow permanent it removes like a snow counter or something like that you can just play it and then untap you know, as long as you untap with it, it launches Merit Lage into your opponent's face. Yeah. I mean, I'm very believe minus on this just because it takes some time. But, you know, there's been worse win conditions. This one, like people have said, is at least it's one hit. Kind of see where it goes from there. I guarantee this will be in one of the first five against the Oz decks that Saffron. <laughs> I guarantee this will be in a 5-0 list. I mean, I don't know Ooh. if it'll ever be in more than one 5-0 dump. I guarantee it'll be in a single 5-0 dump. Well, when it when it's there, Zach, you'll be the one to uh, to test it for Sleeve, Believe, Heave. Oh, Modern man, Rises I will. Edition. I can rent it online. This is going to be so much fun. I'm definitely going to play this online. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to, again, uh, the next card, Mirrodin Besieged. This is a cool one. It's a rare enchantment for two and a blue. As Mirrodin Besieged enters the battlefield, choose Mirin or Phyrexian. So, wait, hold on. I have to ask, was this choose one or other was that in like a phyrexian set no or, dude, i only it, remember that from from it, uh from dragons it was only in that set that was in fate reforged dude it's a yeah, reference okay, it's the siege cycle and this is mirrodin besieged oh that's right it's, a, it's oh, a, like man. a double triple reference it's crazy this is why we have you on the pod zach so um so if you choose mirin whenever you cast an artifact spell you create a one one colorless mirror artifact creature token and if you choose phyrexian which in my opinion, if you're smart, you probably will. At the beginning of your end step, draw a card, then discard a card. Then if there are 15 or more artifact cards in your graveyard, target opponent loses the game. So I'm like a believe plus sleeve minus just for the Phyrexian half. That just seems like a very breakable alternate win con to me. Because totally. it's really easy to fill your fill your graveyard with stuff. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that it, it triggers at the beginning of your end step. So yeah, it's not like exactly. this has to even survive exactly. a turn. It's wild, yeah. You just if you if it if you play it and it survives, and you have fifteen or more artifact cards in your graveyard, boom, game over. Yeah, honestly, a big thing with like a lot of the, I mean, we've mentioned against the odds, but like against the odds genre of cards like Battle of Wits or whatever, where you win the game or someone loses the game when you meet a condition. This condition is not that hard to meet, and it triggers right away. A lot of those things have delayed triggers where it's not delayed, but delayed from when you play it. it happens on your upkeep, happening at the end of your turn, like. I think it just re-hit me how huge that is. I think I'm going to move up to a sleeve on this one. That's not hard to do. And, like, you play this through counter magic and go, eh, okay, so it goes. Yeah, I got to point out that the Pro Points podcast suggested this as an alternative win con in the Semblance Anvil Grinding Station deck that exploits Scrap Trawler in the post 
ironworks combo meta and the fact that this card can already have a home in an in a modern deck on day one albeit a fringy modern deck that's like an inconsistent a shadow combo. of its former self exactly it makes me think that uh, maybe this finally gets scrap trawler banned or something scrap trawler rain Alrighty, so we're going to skip the next few cards. We're not going to talk about the Mist Syndicate Naga, the Moonblade Shinobi, the Onirophage. There's probably a better way to pronounce that. Cool we're, squid. It's a little squid. We're not going to talk about Phantasmal Form. We're not going to talk about the Phantom Ninja. <laughs> that was my favorite 1950s radio serial. We're mostly not talking about Reign of Revelation, but... Yeah, all I'm going to say about this card is that it's sort of another example of a 4CMC instant draw cards uh, spell that you could play in a control deck. And so if you are in a deck that wants to discard a card as well, now you're looking at Hieroglyphic Illumination and this card and Factor Fiction and other ones as your kind of options for that. Yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, how many just random ways to draw cards does blue need? And then I'm also thinking, well, how many crappy one ones with haste does red need? So, yeah, I believe this is the only magic card to feature tie dye on it for what it's worth. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do like this card, but I don't think I would ever play it over hieroglyphic illumination or more specifically Archmage's Charm. All right. We are going to talk a little bit about rebuild. So Rebuild is a instant for Tuna Blue. Return all artifacts to their owner's hands. And it's got Cycling 2. I've got this as a heave because I actually think it's generally worse than Hercules Recall. And the fact that you can cycle it early doesn't make this more playable for me because Hercules Recall is the type of card that you want to hold on to. And if you're siding it in, I think you're not ever going to want to cycle it away against the decks that you would bring it in for. I think what's important to remember here, Stan, is that it doesn't need to be better than a Hercules Recall. I think here it just matters that it's different than Hercules Recall because you can cast this around a Chalice on two, for instance. Yeah, I mean, my main thought here is just more in the idea of cycle it and snap it back because it's not that expensive. So it's kind of like, hey, if you get this early and you're not really ready to use it yet, but you want another card, cash it in in a deck that has Snapcaster Mage in it. Dave, I would worry that if you're bringing this in against a deck like We're Prison, they're going to have a random incidental Grafdigger's Cage or something. So you'll end up punished if you cycle this early. Playing it for three mana to get around that Chalice, I think is interesting, but I don't yeah, know. I that's think fair, I just Stan. kind of like Hercules Recall more and dealing with Chalice by other means. Maybe we're entering an era where all the good artifact hate is two mana and all the chalice artifact decks put it on two in anticipation of that, in which case this becomes necessary. As someone who plays chalice, I totally think that this is better because of it. And I think that there's going to be more chalice around with the London Mulligan coming as well. I think that, like you said, Hercules Recall, you're not trying to jam it quickly on turn two, you're holding on to it. So the mana difference is really negligible to me at that point. Great, so we're going to skip Smoke Shroud for our next card and go directly to Tribute Mage. Tribute Mage is a very interesting card. It is two colorless and one blue mana for a human wizard that's a 2-2, but uh, the text on it says it's sort of the completion of the blank mage cycle. that They all start with T, 
And what it says is when Tribute Mage enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost two. Reveal that card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. I think this card is pretty important. This is not the greatest mage in the world. This is just a tribute. (laughs) You gotta believe me. Is this a tenacious D? (laughs) Reference. Just a matter of opinion. So, it's me and JB. <laughs> so we have uh, three believes and a sleeve on this. So I'm going to let Shane start with his assessment, given that he's the one who's sleeving it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really good, right? It finds stuff you want. It finds like both part of the softer, the softer toward of the thopter sword combo. I mean, the art has a gigantic sword of the meek on it, which is a little bit on the nose. It's like, yeah. this is what you're going to be doing with this card, right, guys? We're, they're like, what's all... Let's all be clear. It's this sword. <laughs> it's it's this it's this one. This one. Do you see the connection, everybody? Yeah, I mean that's the only reason why I'm a believe on this card because it seems like it's very useful for sort of the meek decks, and it's just up to those players to decide whether it's good enough to make the cut. It does get some other interesting cards, by the way. Um, I, I think in for particular, sure. it gets some sideboard cards. It gets dampening sphere. It gets um, torpor orb. orb. It gets, what was the third one that I had on here? Oh, Spellskite, if you happen to want Spellskite. Spyglass. Yeah, get Spyglass if you want that. So there's there's some other kind of value stuff you could do in a sort of War of Invention way if you were running this card in your Thopter Foundry deck. So it might even help that. But yeah, Heart of Kirin. (laughs) Cold Steel Heart. Altar of Dementia. Smuggler's Copter. Yeah, I mean, I play some of the mages in Bluetron. They're good. This card's good. The restriction isn't actually that big of a deal. We just named a bunch of playable and semi-playable two-drop artifacts in Modern, so... Yeah, but the big thing is clearly Thopter Sword, so... Yeah, it's on the air. Yeah. So we're going to skip over a Twisted Reflection, Watcher for Tomorrow, Windcaller Aven. We think that card will probably be tested in Mono Blue Living End. I've seen a little bit of it. I don't know too much, but it seems tailor-made for that deck to a degree yeah yeah single blue cycling yeah nice to have a a flying threat that's all we're going to skip over winter's rest azra smoke shaper we are going to talk about popper perennial favorite carry on feeder carry on feeder is a single black for a one one zombie carry on feeder can't block sacrifice a creature put a one one counter and carry on feeder this card is very good this card is very 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 good this card uh, is really po- powerful just because it's, uh, number one, a free sack outlet, but it gets bigger with it. And it's a relevant tribe. Well, relevant in that it's getting more support and has support. So it's also a really good turn one play. It goes along with Gravecrawler, which you can sack to it. It's just a lot of good synergy, very good card. I'm excited to see it in Modern. I am a sleeve. Same. I think this is going to see play, almost certainly. It only costs one mana, as Zach pointed out, free sack outlet. It makes me wonder if it's even going to open the door for a new deck, but it's a win condition, and that's why I like it a lot. Yeah, Dave, how many times have you said, we just need some more Viscerous Ears? Uh, a lot. I'm still not sure that that deck is, that there's a deck that's going to immediately spring out of this, because I don't know how many more we want in a deck, but I, I think it's powerful. I think it will help some of the decks that use Viscerous Ears, so I, I have it as a sleeve, too. Aristocrats. Yeah, I'm I'm a sleever on it as well. I think sometimes this is even potentially better than Seer. So even if you don't want like eight Seer effects, this can potentially create an instant win scenario 
Whereas here is just essentially sort of setting up something for the next turn, usually like a murderous red cap or something like that if you're in like a persist deck. But this just gets gigantic by sacrificing things. So yeah, it's definitely a sleeve, I think. Yeah, swing with it, not blocked. Initiate some sort of an infinite sacrifice combo, get 31 one counters on and go ahead. Yeah, this seems particularly good with uh, our favorite uh, best unplayable cards, Rally the Ancestor. <laughs> I would say is maybe mm. maybe a way to go here. Mm. Revisit it, Dave. So Stan, you want to talk about a card that we skipped over. I just want to give a quick elevator pitch in defense of Watcher for tomorrow. I think this is card advantage on a low-costed body with the relevant creature type. So... I have a hunch that it might get tested in decks that are running Wizards Lightning or Wizards Retort. So is it really card advantage just to replace itself? Yes. As long as you get a card out of Watcher for Tomorrow or something that's equivalent to a card, right? So if you get enough damage out of attacking with it, that's one thing. If you uh, manage to trade it for a Goblin Guide, that's card advantage. So... If they lightning bolted for some reason or gut shot it, that's card advantage. So I think that that's a good point. Stan, it could be possible. It's cool like in a blinking deck for sure because you, you, it's, a, it's a little bit of work to set up drawing some cards sort of. A lot of the cards that have popped up into the set, it's one of those things where my understanding of the huge modern card pool is not deep enough where I'm like, where I, I don't know if this effect already exists in some kind of better way or redundant way. So it's like, sure, I can see this be in some kind of interesting blink deck where you're just sort of blinking and getting a bunch of cards, but maybe that already exists somewhere else. I don't know offhand of hideaway creatures. I just know about the lands that have this tacked on. Well, the hideaway is not even really essential to it, right? Like you could have any sort of card that's where it's like, when it leaves the battlefield, put a card into your hand, right? Yeah. Like the hideaway is just sort of like a, a funky way to do it. Yeah. All right. So moving on, we're going to take a look at Cordial Vampire, which is black, black. Whenever Cordial Vampire or another creature dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. It is a one, one. And I have this card as a belief minus. Um, I, I think it's kind of interesting that it makes a payoff for vampires to be a go wide deck. I don't think that this is what Vampires is looking for, but I could be wrong. But at the same time, I think it's reasonable rate, so we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Adam, friend of the show, has been playing Vampires or trying to play some version of Vampires for a few years now. And and the issue with the deck was always that it couldn't figure out where it wanted to go, if it wanted to go wide or, or you know, try to be more utility-based or anything. So he's also not sold on this card either. Funny enough, the vampire tribal player is goat. I don't know, but it does reward the go right strategy in a way that nothing else did. And you do have sim like you have vampire nighthawk and the two two one from uh, the Kaladesh block as well. So cards like that that can get a little bigger and swing you lots of life. Like the deck's always been sort of on the fringe, and I don't know if this makes it super competitive playable but i think he's gonna win a game or two more at his lgs now because of it so i think it's cool i think it's cool that vampires get this kind of support so one of the things i really like about this card is that it doesn't care about creature tokens so you can maybe have some kind of weird combo engine where you're producing a ton of tokens that you're sacrificing to some carrion feeder or other free sack outlet and then make a ton of value that way the card definitely seems powerful. I'm not sure if it's powerful enough to make vampires a thing, but at the same time, maybe the creature type isn't the best part of this card because it can pump up itself. 
I mean, I just don't know if it's something Aristocrats is like needed or a vampire deck is needed. So, but people do like vampires. So I'm not full on sleeve. It's probably just a believe minus. I think it'll show up. I'll see it at an LGS table at some point. So next up is Dead of Winter. And I am hyped to be talking about this card. It is two and a black for a sorcery. All non-snow creatures get minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of snow permanents you control. So, yeah, hard sleeve for me. I love the mood of this card. It's got a great name. It's got great art. It's got great flavored text. But most importantly, I think the card itself is good. I don't think it's really too tough to cast in sort of a multicolor snow deck because it's just a single black mana in the mana cost. Zach, do you think some kind of snow deck wants this? I don't think there's a deck that exists right now. I think we can see something like Tenrak switch over to all snow-covered lands very easily. We can see a mono black control deck or even vampires, no joke, or zombies run this instead if they have a bunch of basics already. I think the issue, once again, with any snow deck that's more than one color is the lack of fetchable snow duels. We have that new fetch land uh, in this set that can grab any basic, and that will help snow decks out. But it just it's a bummer that you can, on turn one, go ahead and grab your red-green or red-blue or whatever two-color snow land and then set yourself up good. You have to play some questionable lands to do so. But I love this card personally. I am a total sleeve it. I'm going to I'm brewing a red-black scred build to run this card. That's how much I like it. So I'm still just a believer in part because I don't know the deck that wants to play this. It seems like it would require some new strategy. Zach is probably going to be the architect of that strategy. So whether it's Mono Black Devotion or Tenrak, where every swamp is snow-covered, I think people are evaluating this a little too closely to Toxic Deluge, which is like wildly better. And this is much more fair. And I have a small concern that the fact that this card is fair is going to make it not strong enough, or at least too narrow for being truly competitive and modern. Yeah, I mean, one thing I thought about a little bit with this is that you need four, you need five permanents in play, I guess, to make this better than Languish. Although Languish mm-hmm. is four CMC and this is three CMC, so, you know, this yeah. is a more friendly card in that sense. Languish is also two black. Right. Yeah, it's double black, double black cost, yeah. So, but I, that's kind of the line that I was thinking about here was like, when does this become better than Languish? How, you know, how good is this in general? How often do I want to use this? When is this better than Damnation? I mean, I know, I know nobody wants to play Damnation, but it's a, cause it's a zillion dollar card, but um, that's just stuff that kind of had me have this unbelief instead. I mean, this does say all non-snow creatures. So you could set yourself up in a fashion where your snow dudes and ladies still exist. Not currently. They're all really like shaft draft right now. It's unfortunate. This has to be setting up something or else this is just was wizards kicking me while I'm down. Show the chiller pillar some respect. Yeah. Chiller pillar. It's so cool. It's the coolest caterpillar in all of magic. Change my mind. But anyway, I think we all love or believe in this card, and uh, I think this is definitely one we expect to see play. It does definitely have better art than Languish. I like that Crocodile, but I like this black metal, heavy metal, hard rock metal album cover more. This would be like one thing I would get the original art for, but I know that uh, a thousand other people would, would as well. Yeah, I've been on a big Dark Throne kick ever since this card got revealed, and I don't regret it. Stan, take us to Defile. So we're going to talk about the next card, and that is Defile. It's single black mana for an instant. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn for each swamp you control. And sounds a little bit like the last card. <laughs> yeah, like the budget sort of. version of the last card. Yeah. 
So to be honest, I'm on Heave because I think this is a limited card, and I'm not sure a basic land payoff is the removal spell you want to be playing in modern. I'm the only Heave for this spell. It's not You're basic a crazy land. person. It's, it's swamp, not basic swamp. Right, but still. Yeah. Fair. I mean, it's probably good enough for some modern play, but you typically don't have that many lands, let alone that many swamps in play. And I know it's not just basic swamps, but like probably some heavy black based decks can run this and it's going to act as some really good removal. This card reminds me a lot of Scred. The art even reminds me of Scred. It's a, someone reaching out while they're being crushed or destroyed by the substance. Uh, by eels. Scred, yeah, <laughs> by eels. So Scred is no permanence, not just land, but this is even a little better than Scred because it hits indestructible creatures too. Or creatures that are hard to remove because it's minus one, minus one, not damage or destroy. I think if Scred could create the weird archetype, I mean, it's one a GP, it's one like a tournament, like it's not, it's not nothing. This will definitely see play in weird black mono decks and like vampires might run it, who knows, like eight rack or 10 rack or any mono black deck that is trying to go past the mid game, this might be interested in. And it's just, it's like black Scred is pretty cool. I don't know. I like it. I'm a believer. You're a sleever, actually. I'm, I'm a sleever. <laughs> I'm a believer. I kind of think of it kind of the same way that Stan brought up a moment ago, which is, uh, is it when is it better than Fatal Push? Is it just different than Fatal Push? How often do you play it? Things like that. Um, so very down the middle for me. Fatal Push will never hit an angler. This will sometimes hit an angler. True. Yeah, that's the, that's the whole thing, right? But, yeah, that's that's the only thing. It could maybe even hit Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger. I have 10 swaps oh, out. It could. It's could, right? Ooh. Yeah. We finally have the answer to Hazaret we've been looking for. Oh, I mean, there's plenty. Dismember is actually the best one. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, too. Like, when is this better than Dismember? That's that's what we're, we're really mm. looking at here, is that it's somewhere between Fatal Push and Dismember, and I, I kind of feel like that's a big hill to get over. Yeah, one mana is good though, right? And like that's really it's one mana instant and it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. All right. So we are gonna skip over Endling. We're gonna skip over first sphere gargantua. We're gonna skip over Gluttonous Slug, Graveshifter, Mind Rake, <laughs> Mob, and stop at Nether Spirit. So Nether Spirit is a creature spirit. It costs one colorless and black black. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Nether Spirit is the only creature card in your graveyard, you may return Nether Spirit to the battlefield. It is a 2-2. I feel like this card has some kind of synergies that will make it be playable or be something that shows up occasionally as some kind of weird combo outlet or something like that, but I definitely do not see it kind of going beyond that. Dave, I got to disagree with you on this one because evaluating this card was a journey for me. Because I started on like believe minus and the more time I spent looking at it and reading about it and thinking about other players in the format, I went all the way up to the sleeve. I think it synergizes really nicely with delve cards. I think it gives you a really good reason to play early faithless lootings. Its biggest problem is the fact that it's too power, but that's not even unplayable. I really like this card. I think it could be a really interesting value piece in decks that can manipulate their graveyard and we have tons of ways to do that for value in modern stan i gotta ask you though what aren't you playing in a graveyard manipulation deck to like put this in your deck because 
it requires a lot of work to set up. Like I, I thought about the same things you did. I was like, okay, you can delve some stuff and leave this in your graveyard. And it's just like, I just don't, I just don't see the point to this card. It's like a two, two ground attacker. The point to this card is that it's recursive. So even if you only have like one or two delve cards and you only do it once to strip your graveyard, that's probably going to last no matter how many times it dies, either from blocking or from being killed by someone who's misplaying their lightning bolt. But like any deck that can cast this is just going to play Bloodgast. And I don't think this goes along with a deck that plays Bloodgast. Oh, oh, but, but you, if it went you along don't need to cast deck. it. <laughs> Where you're, you're discarding it. When you to Liliana. to Liliana and then bringing it back, yeah, exactly. And it serves as a blocker. The biggest thing with that deck is it needs to get to the mid game, and it it can chump, it can trade, and it's just repeatedly there. We skipped over the card Mind Rake, which is totally okay as it might not even see play in ten rack, eight rack, but it also synergizes with this card. I think that deck is probably the most likely one in my mind because it doesn't run that many creatures already, and it has built-in synergies. Yeah, I like it. I mean, yeah, sure, it might show up. I just don't think it's going to see very wide play yeah no I, this isn't a tier one card but it makes a uh, interesting deck a little more interesting you're right zach it's tier zero every black deck should play this i'm still on heave it i'm on heave it Finance. we got shane on heave it we got stan on sleeve it and zach and i are on believe it for another spirit the always controversial <laughs> i guess the only thing i would say about this card is is it harder to have a single creature card in your graveyard than it is to play three spells in a turn i'm gonna say yes and then mm-hmm. this one doesn't even have haste. So uh, as much as I love free cards, I feel like this one is got a much different purpose than being a, an attacker. So hey, I, they're I, giving away free cards. Yeah. They're giving away free cards down the street. <laughs> All right. We'll be skipping over a chunk of black draft cards. Ninja of the new moon, putrid goblin, rank officer, ransack the lab, return from extinction, sadistic obsession. But we will be talking about Shatter Assumptions. Do you think the artist of Mindrake and the artist of Shatter Assumptions had like a little meeting? I think that there are a lot of black discard cards already in Magic, and they just like hand them a portfolio and say like, hey, this is what it looks like to get cards discard from your head. Draw <laughs> my this. My brain! Yeah, my, my brain, no! <laughs> it's what I think with. <laughs> this is how Psyduck feels when he has a headache. Shatter Assumptions is one and two black. Sorcery. Choose one. Target opponent reveals their hand and discards all colorless non-land cards. Target opponent reveals their hand and discards all multicolored cards. So that seems pretty good, right? There are a lot of multicolored cards in Modern, and there are also these days a lot of colorless cards. I think I'm a believe it, and I think why I am is because it's three mana. That's an awful lot. That's I guess that's good against Tron if you're on the play and maybe only in 8-10 rack even. I don't know. This card was very hard for me to evaluate. It seems like it could be very good, but I'm not convinced. It was easy for me to evaluate because I'm throwing this right in the trash. <laughs> I think the <laughs> fact that it's three mana makes it really bad. But if it was two mana, it would be an actual bomb. The second mode, the multicolor mode, is basically good against two decks which are spirits and humans and i think either spirits is going to start interacting with this by turn three or humans is just going to be way too fast for it to make an impact i also think the top mode is both too slow for affinity and scales because they're going to unload their hand by the time you can cast this it's worth noting the multicolor mode totally crushes the bring to light niv deck is it worth noting that (laughs) it's funny (laughs) are you sideboarding against that deck zach right now 
<laughs> no, I, <laughs> I need you guys to help me off mic real quick to sideboard plan for this deck. <laughs> so I'll send the, you an email. The point you made about it being playable against Tron if you're on the play, I think maybe is what makes black decks want to run this potentially if they're always going to lose game one to Tron. But it's just like a huge liability if you're on the draw. So I'm not feeling it. I don't know. It's not like it's not an absurd liability. I mean, it's, but Tron doesn't always cast some game-winning spell on turn three. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of times when you're even just setting up for like a turn four sweeper or something like that. So there's plenty of times where I can see this doing work. Does it do enough work to see sideboard play? Is the question. I think there's going to be some decks that can get enough done with it that it'll do something good. Like, let's say you're running a heavy black deck, you're picking apart their hand with some Inquisitions and Thoughtseize is pretty early on. You They stumble because they're not able to cast their their egg and or their uh, Sylvan Scrying. And so then on turn three or turn four, you know, before they do their, their fourth turn, you're able to strip their hand. And I think that that is pretty potent. I just don't know if it does enough. I'm a believer. I think we'll see uh, how much this impacts the ability of black mid-range decks to hold their own against Tron. And hang with the big dogs. Stay on the porch, Zach. <laughs> yeah. If you can't <laughs> run with them, stay on the porch. Stay off the porch. Stay off. <laughs> Listen, get off and stay off the porch if you can't run with the big I, dogs. I want to I be on the porch at this point in my life. <laughs> this okay? porch is for dogs only. You stand on the street where you belong. <laughs> I got a hammock up there. I got a gliding swing. It's chill. Dave, what do you think? Of this card? Yeah. Nah, I don't care. I, I don't. I feel like this card is supposed to be some kind of uh, Tron hate, like people are saying, but I, I just don't see it. I think it's too expensive. It's a real Tron killer. All right. You got to get lucky. What if you draw this on like turn, turn like six? Like that's terrible. The dive down does not endorse any of these cards. No. <laughs> All right, we're going to skip over Silumgar Scavenger. Hey, you guys remember Exploit? Um, skip over Smiting Helix. Um, skip over Throat Seeker. And we will stop on Unearth. So Unearth is single black mana for a sorcery. Return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. It also has cycling two. I think this, I'm a, I'm a believer I think this is good, and this is probably good. It's it's card neutral with mana advantage. It can cycle if you need to. I mean, it's also extremely fair, and I'm not really sure that modern is about fairness right now. And that when I say that, I mean in terms of hyper-competitive, but I mean in, for a local game store, sure, modern can be fair. You can take a, a black-based mid-range deck there, and I think this can see some play there. I must leave it. I think this card rules. That's it? You just love this card? I mean, it's a cool card. You know what's better than uh, a two-mana goif? A one-mana goif. Or a three-mana goif. That's also true. No, it's not. Yeah, I, I don't know. This seems like a huge, powerful player. The fact that it's cycling makes it better in multiples. The fact that it's one mana makes it easy to snap cast back. I think this card is definitely going to see play. So I'm kind of forgetting about an interesting black-green card that doesn't see a lot of play right now, and that's Grimflare which allows you to fill your graveyard when it hits. And so you could have some nice mana advantage by flipping over a more expensive card into your graveyard and then double spelling on a subsequent turn with like Unearth and then like maybe a Goyf or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's possible. I guess the main problem I have with this card is I'm tr I've am i been trying to think about how much better is this card really than Claim to Fame. 
Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how much better it is. I mean, there's pluses and minuses, but I'm not sure if that makes it enough that it would be something you would actually want to run in a, in a deck. Uh, to me, I think that this reads like a fair card. I think it would have to be in some kind of broken combo deck to make it worthwhile. It seems very good to me. Everyone that I know that plays Jundur the Rock is very excited about this card and is actively brewing about it. It seems cool. I didn't even think about the Snapcaster nonsense. That's very powerful. I'm a believer. You can do that with Claim Fame, though, too. But then you got to run three colors. You don't have to. No, you don't. You don't have to use Fame. You could have already done the Snapcaster yeah. thing. So hmm. Right, but you, know, you put it that know. way. But Claim to Fame, you can't cycle away when it's not good. Yes. And also, the, the two versus three does matter. I mean, three is where you start seeing more significantly powerful creatures in mid-range decks. Yeah. So I, I think I'd rather see some cards that cost three versus cards that cost two, but modern is so powerful that, that you know it might not be a significant enough difference, the two versus three mana. That's the thing I'm trying to figure out is, is it really paradigm shifting enough to make a difference? I really think Reed Duke should have spoiled this card instead of whatever limited nonsense he had to spoil because this is more of a mid-range playable than that creature is that we're going to skip later on. All right, so that wraps up our conversation on black because we are skipping Wart Eye Witch. We're moving on to red. We are not talking about Alpine Guide, Blade Back Sliver, Bogarden Dragonheart, Cleaving Sliver, Geomancer's Gambit, or Igneous Elemental. But we are going to talk about Magmatic Sinkhole. Hey, guys, it's a quad sleeve. Quad sleeve. So our second quad sleeve, Magmatic Sinkhole. Five and a red for an instant. Magmatic Sinkhole deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker, and it has delve. That's important, that part. So that's the reason we're all sleeving it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't think it's worth five and a red? I mean, maybe sometimes you're casting it for more than one mana, but the fact that it is potentially a one mana answer to Planeswalkers, I think, is why this card is going to probably see some play in red decks. I think the players who are going to sleeve this up have to consider whether it's actually better than Harvest Pyre, since that can scale up a little bit more. But having a nice, clean, instant speed answer to Planeswalkers is probably going to make this good enough and uh, and played over Harvest Pyre. Yeah, I love it. It's not strictly better than Roast. Roast, you can play on turn two pretty consistently. And like it's nice when you, if you're facing a lot of goifs or anglers or things like that in your Big meta. In the ice. Exactly. So it depends on the speed. But this is the utility hit Planeswalkers is crazy good. It's very, very good. I love this card. I, right now, I'm testing out some nonsense in Scred, but I think I'll be back to Mono Red one day, and I think this might even get to see play there. E- even if you're paying three or four mana for it, being able to take care of a Walker in Scred in Mono Red is very good. It's not something that, that you can really do right now in that color. Yeah, I mean, I think this card is just a new staple, basically. Like, mm. I, I don't know. I don't think it's four of. I don't think it is that a deck gets built around it, but it's going to be around tons of different decks to fill out the removal suite. And I think it's something that Red really lacked. Yeah, so let's say you're playing like a, a red-black based deck. Do you guys think you run this over like a Dreadbore? It's, it's, it's not unconditional. I'm honestly having the same discussion with myself right now. I have a single Dreadbore that I think I can fit in somewhere in the 75, and I'm thinking about if this is better. I don't know. I think it's 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 really good optionality in the terms of Dave Harbarger. So. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the point I want to make about this card, though. And this is echoing something Ross told us when we interviewed him. Cards like this make it hard to run a lot of Delve cards. 
So I think the decks that are running this might not be able to run Logic Knot. And potentially this gets worse if your opponent's siding in Graveyard Hate. So it's not like a bomb in every matchup. I think it has balance to it that people should be aware of. Totally fair. It's probably better in a deck that does not run a lot of Delve cards already. Yeah, but also is good in decks that have fetch lands. All right, well, the next card we're going to talk about just for a second is Orscale Guardian, which is five colorless and two red. It is a dragon, and it this spell costs one less to cast for each land card in your graveyard. It is flying, and it has haste, and it is a 4-4. Four, four. And the flavor text says a dragon's loyalty cannot be earned, but it can be bought. With lands. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is decent, potentially. Uh, I have no idea. I have this as a as a believe it, mostly because I feel like if you were in something where you're running a lot of fetch lands and you wanted some kind of closer that could get down to, t- to just RR, then uh, maybe you would be able to get there. But I'm very fringy believe on this. Yeah, I think it's easy to think of the best case scenario, right? And be like, oh man, this this double red flying haste four four dragon. But in most normal modern games taking place, I think you're not going to get this for much less than say two red red. So that ain't worth it. Yeah, it's yeah. not worth it. But it's 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 close. I'm like a believe minus. Does the assault loam deck want this? That's the deck that's putting really the most lands consistently into its graveyard and i feel like this sort of dilutes the plan or it's not really trying to go a combat way i could be wrong on that one but this seems more a little more distracting than it does helpful it might be another useful creature to stall the game for the assault loam deck but worth noting assault loam is playing life of the loam to get their lands back because it wants to win by throwing all its lands at you i have this as a sleeve I don't think this is going to cost RR as often as fans would like. If it does, it's probably in a new deck. And I'm not sure I'd want to play this over Heart of Kirin. If you want a cheap 4-4 flying, how about one that also has Vigilance? How about that? Fair. Here's a quick question for you guys. Do you think it's good at 3 mana at for 1 red-red? Uh, I think it's okay there. Mm. I don't know. I don't think this sees a lot of play. It's just like a, <laughs> it's a pill to swallow. With wings. It's a jagged little pill. Next, we'll be talking about Peshalik Mons, a 2-2 for two and a red legendary creature, Goblin Warrior. When Peshalik Mons or another goblin you control dies, Peshalik Mons deals one damage to any target. Activated ability is three and one red. Sacrifice a goblin. Create two 1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens. I am a sleeve on this card because I'm going to put it into the deck I'm currently playing. This is very 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 good for mono red control with the goblin package right now the game can often stall out and you have your opponent locked out but not really a way to keep it pushing forward this one not only deals damage but grows your goblin army that you're getting from your rival masters and war bosses so they're taking up you're sacrificing them to put them down they get so big that you have your lethal combat step eventually so this card is seems tailor-made for that deck. I It has some, you know, fringe goblin strategies, but it's not getting played there. It's getting played in this deck. It might even replace Hazaret in the 75. Wow. Wow. In that build, in that goblin build specifically. I think that's super interesting. I have this as a believe, but I don't think I have anything to add to what Zach said. So I'm just going to say, how cool is it that they finally made someone for whom Mon's Goblin Raiders were named after, huh? Mm-hmm. That's it. I think this card is really cool. I'm a believer. Unfortunately, I don't think there are any red infinite mana combos, which would be fantastic. And if that ever gets somehow printed into modern, this is going to be a great payoff in that strategy. 
I like it as a grindy win con. Uh, I'd love for it to break open a combo. My gut tells me it's probably a little too clunky, but it's so cool and interesting that uh, I'm hopeful, and that's why I have it as a believe. Yeah, I'm a believer. It seems like it's going to be doing something useful or abusable, and the way Zach set it up as useful makes total sense to me. I am super hyped to talk about our next card. We're going to skip over Quakefoot Cyclops, skip over Reckless Charge, and go to Shenanigans. And Shenanigans is one in a red. Shenanigans. (laughs) Yes. So it's a one in a red sorcery. Destroy target artifact. Well, that's not very exciting, except for this text. What's that? What's that below it? Dredge, Dredge One. What? <laughs> so, I haven't heard that name in twenty five years. <laughs> this is wild. I mean, I don't really remember the there last card. There hasn't been any new Dredge cards in forty years. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is pretty rad, right? This is I'm gonna sleeve it, and the reason I am is because it seems like you know the most straightforward benefit to this is that this card lets you blow up a Graph Digger's cage by dredging this to your hand and casting it. And that also advances your dredge strategy a small amount. So besides cage against dredge, at least, I probably want Ancient Grudge, to be honest with you. Ancient Grudge is instant. The flashback is cheaper. Uh, You can't even do anything cool with this because it's sorcery. Like You can't cast it in your upkeep to tag an opponent's artifact, dredge it back, and then do it again. But you can still get this back over and over and over again and cast it over and over and over again. So it's a really great card. I can imagine a lot of decks running it. I don't, do not think this is isolated just a dredge. Yeah, so I'm going to sleeve it as well. And maybe I'm even overvaluating it. But I feel like if I was a scales or affinity player, I'd be very nervous about this card being in the format because of how easy and low cost it is to just get it to your hand with hardly any real downside. This card rules... I wasn't adequately impressed when I first read it, and it wasn't until I went back and started doing this set review for the episode that I was like, oh, anyone can play this. The fact that it's dredge is kind of upside for a bunch of decks, and it isn't necessarily exclusively relegated to decks. I think this might be playable in the Phoenix deck, especially instead of Hercules Recall, but we'll see about that. It's pretty slow. This is me learning the thing that you just said, Stan, and changing my rating from Believe It Plus to Sleeve It, because... Wow, you learn that more than dredge could play this card. Totally makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. people on the on like the scred communities online are talking about this in the sideboard. Like that's how ubiquitous and good it is. It's just recurring, you know, artifact destruction. Zach, how many scred communities are there? Uh, I don't really want to give away our information or numbers. (laughs) We hide in the shadows (laughs) of the icy mountains. We are legion. There's one thousand men at Castle Black. I am part of three different Facebook groups, and I'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah, cool. Good card. We'll see play. Might see more play than it deserves at first Mm. and then settle into kind of the the role it will have. All right, moving on through red, we are going to skip Spinehorn Minotaur. We're not going to talk about Spiteful Sliver, except... I want to do this like just five seconds on this. So this seems like it's just like anti-Anger the God sideboard tech, but it also works to make your opponent have some really annoying blocking decisions, right? So it's like, it's not just like, oh, this wrath that deals damage, I can do a bunch of damage to my opponent. It's, I'm going to make combat math and combat blocking a pain in the butt. Bring your calculators, folks, when Shane plays Spiteful Sliver against you. All right, the next card we are going to talk about is Tectonic Reformation. One in a red for an enchantment. Each land card in your hand has cycling red. 
and the card has cycling too. The, the, the mana cost for the cycling is two. It has cycling two and cycling. It two. also has cycling two. As well. Furthermore. <laughs> also in addition to. What do you think, Stan? This card's really cool. I like that this is a two drop that you don't have to cast on turn two. And it actually still seems totally okay on turn four or after, especially if you're clutching some lands for like the mid to late game to play into this. Kind of looks like it might be a three mana spell in the way that Young Peasy and Scavenging Ooze are secretly three mana spells. But also drawing extras isn't even the end of the world because of the cycling ability on here. So I think this is cool. The effect is really interesting, worth keeping an eye on. It's probably going to be a limited bomb, and uh, we'll see. I, I have some optimism that this could be a player in uh, somewhere in modern. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this card. I think it's very cool. I think that this is another thing that mono red scrut can play around with it at once. It doesn't have a ton of two drops, and being able to maybe run like two extra lands that it normally does, and being able to just turn them into cards later is actually pretty good. Maybe run, even with the extra, um, the snow creature, you can run that, things like that. It's just a really cool, neat draw spell for red decks. I don't know if I agree with you, Zach. I think this is a heave. I think this is a heave. I just don't think any red deck is going to play this for any kind of value. I think it only has to be in a synergistic deck where you want like land cards in your graveyard or you want to be cycling things. Shane, can I interest you in or scale guardian? A seven mana four four flying haste that's one colorless cheaper for each land card in your graveyard. What? Not really. Uh, no, please. You can't you can't really interest me in it. No, I agree with Dave. I think this is I think I think this is just when are you casting this? Like this is not a value card. Isn't this just your turn two play in assault loam? That's what I'm saying. It's that's a synergy play. I think that's fine. I just don't think it's like a red value card by any means. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think it's probably for a very specific deck. I have it as a believe it. So we're going to skip over a few more cards. We're going to skip over Throws of Chaos. Even as weird as that card is, we're just going to skip it. It has no card text. So weird. <laughs> Hit me up later, Throws of Chaos, once we figure out what to do with you. Uh, Urza's Rage, we're going to skip. Vengeful Devil, Viashino Sand Sprinter, Volatile Claws. That will close out red for us, so we're done with red. We're also going to skip... Going into green, we're going to skip Bellowing Elk, Conifer Worm, Crashing Footfalls, Excavating Anurid, <laughs> Frostwalia, Croson Tusker, and finally arrive on Lanoir Tribe as being a card that a few of us want to talk to, talk about. Man, that was a brutal series of green cards. We lost Sad. a lot. We got a, lost a lot of very good green ones there. Yeah, Palmia. <laughs> So Lanawar Tribe is a weird card. <laughs> it's uh, its casting cost is green, green, green. It is an elf druid. It is a 3-3, three, three, and it taps to add three green mana. It's literally three Lanawar elves just glued Stable together. together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that. They're probably yeah, they're, like, together, in the art, like they're connected even. Like they're one unit. Yeah, I think it's actually a meld card. If you look at it closely, it's, it's one <laughs> three-headed elf. Like, I'm just imagining like, Stan at the table with three cards flipped over on top of one another. Yeah. There's a huge amount of space taken up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on your mat for a little bit. <laughs> it's like Brizella, basically, where we just put them together. Exactly. Um, so none of us are going to talk about this card except for Stan. And we're going to say, go. I bet I could inspire some of you guys to talk about it. I think Elves players, hilariously to me, hate this card. 
But I'm kind of into it because I always thought Dark Ritual was a really good, solid magic card. So maybe it's not an Elves card, but a Mono Green Devotion card. I think it's worth noting that it can get you to 7 mana on turn 3. I think it could actually get you to 8 mana on turn 3 if you have a Nykthos in play. Um, And it feels like really strong on turn 2 especially. The reason it's probably bad for Elves is because that deck already has a lot of 3 drops between your Archdruid, Azuri, and Shaman of the Pack. But a repeatable source of triple mana sounds like it could get broken in the right deck. So I'm going to call it Dark Ritual anytime I cast it. It's going to make my opponents tilt. It's going to win me games. And as a result, I'm going to over-evaluate this card and Shane's going to yell at me. But for me, that's worth it. I think that's that's an, enough to be said for Llanowar Tribe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shane has it as a heave. I have it as a believe. Zach didn't just left the rating box empty on this one on our spreadsheet. I, Zach so doesn't believe how he feels. I... Uh, I, I <laughs> I missed it on the first go round. Then I double checked my work and saw it was empty. And I went, ah, it's Stan said all there is to say about this card. I'm not going to write anything. So we're going to be skipping to near the end of green right now. We're not going to be talking about Marasa Behemoth, Rhyme Tender, Saddlebag Rhymestag, Thornado. Very good portmanteau, uh, Wizards. Thank you so much for this one. I wonder how it'll be translated in other languages. That'll be fun to see. <laughs> Treefolk Umbra. Will be skipped as well, along with Treetop Ambusher. Hey, trumpeting. y'all remember Dash? <laughs> we'll be skipping over Trumpeting Herd, Twin Slope Spider, which is cool because you can see the other spider in the art, but not cool for any other reason. And then we will be talking about finally Wall of Blossoms. Ah, uh, is there even that much to say? I loved Wall of Blossoms. Such this uh, is cool. such a great reprint. Yeah, I think I it's we like it. Wall of Omens is played. We talked about how we liked it. There is a very cool foil version if you're into from the vault foils that exist of Wall of Blossoms. So those are modern legal if you like them. I mean, this one's beautiful. This would be a great foil. Yeah, well, it's Wall of Blossoms, one and a green for a zero four defender. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Perfect. I cast a lot of these back in the day when I was also casting uh, Gaia's Blessing. And just kind of like trying to do an infinite grindy, grindy deck back around that that standard. There's just not a lot to say about this. Yeah, it's I don't, cool. I It'll think be it's played. Cool. Yeah, I don't know what else it's going to be played in, but I think it's very cool. Maybe it's something that goes in and is helpful in, I don't know, Vanifar. It's a good target for like, like Eldritch that. Revolution or stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Vanifar. Yeah. The fa- yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Zero four draw card. Let's keep it going. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the fact that Wall of Omens needs sees play and this is literally that in green makes me a believer it would be foolish to ignore it sure uh we'll walk past web weaver changeling winding way and man i'm getting so lucky tonight so y'all. wait i do want to talk about winding way really quick because i did okay, some math okay please on winding way and so winding way is one in a green for a sorcery it says choose creature or land reveal the top four cards of your library put all cards of the chosen type revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So just in case anybody is thinking about trying to get uh, sassy with this card in order to get two cards out of it, here's what the odds are. If you run 20 of a permanent type in your deck with 59 cards remaining in your deck, which is the way that you tend to run probabilities here, yeah, you would have a 41% chance of getting two of a card. If you run 24 of a permanent in your in your deck, you would have a 53% chance of getting two, and you'd have to have 28 to get a 65% chance of hitting two. So I think it's 
not very good, unfortunately. So when I hear your math, to me that says you have better odds to get creatures off of this, that you probably don't want to be running it for lands. Correct. Or you run it in a deck that has 28 creatures, 28 lands, and four winding ways, because that equals... Oh, uh, you have you have some space for other cards there. There, that. All right. So this card is like close to lead the stampede. It's a little bit more versatile, but it doesn't look as deep. And the reason why I think it's a believe minus, which is where I have it, is it allows you to keep a one land plus one mana dork hand a little bit more safely because you can then try to just look for as many lands as you get. But otherwise, I think decks that run lead the stampede would prefer that over this. Yeah, this is a heave, I think. I don't think this heaves play. All right, moving along. So I'm super hyped to talk about this card. It is, we're in multicolor. It is Hogak, Arisen Necropolis. So the CMC is five uh, black-green, black-green hybrid. And it is a an eight eight legendary creature avatar. <laughs> First line of text: You can't spend mana to cast a spell, but it has convoke and delve. So, and you may cast Hogak Arisen Necropolis from your graveyard. It also has trample. So, this is a believe plus to sleeve minus for me. I don't know if it's in terms of sleeve, in terms of its competitive viability and power, but this will be tested, at least in Dredge. It can be convoked from your Bloodgast and Prized Amalgam uh, for their black mana cost and your normal old dread strategy, but also from your Stinkweed Imp and Golgari Thugs if you cast them from your hand in a pinch. It's incredibly easy to get the Delve cards required in a dread strategy. So it's huge. It's definitely a beater. It speeds up your clock. Oh, this card is getting sleeved. I'm really impressed with it. I think it's going to just be broken open. Someone's going to find out how to cast this on turn two consistently. I think this is going to be a shoe-in for Bridgevine, if anyone is still playing that. I'm really impressed. <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little surprised that y'all aren't hotter on it. I just wonder how big a, a giant 8-8 force of nature that you can cast over and over again, how good that really is. I guess it's probably pretty good. It's probably very good. Uh, I just wasn't sure what deck it would go in, and so that's why I have it as a believe. I am a believe because Path to Exile is a very real card. You do need two, at least two creatures to play this spell yes. because it has Convoke for the two colors. Also, things like Teferi are real where you're tucking a creature and having this put back into your library after you cast it is such a bad feeling. I think it is good, and I think like I will stare one of these down when I'm on Scred and go, oh, no, Scred can't kill. This is a bummer. But I think... More than anything, it's very powerful and will be run, you know, one or two of in a bunch of decks, but it's hard to get it consistently, and there are a lot of clean answers to it in modern. But still, 8-8 Trample is good, but how good remains to be seen. Yeah, I think, Zach, your point that it's a one or two of is really important, because if you are delving away, like, five or however many cards are in your graveyard, it's going to get really hard to cast these multiple times. All right, so we're just moving on to the next card in the set that we haven't talked about yet, which is Kaya's Guile. One, white, black, instant. Choose two. Each opponent sacrifices a creature. Exile all cards from each opponent's graveyard. Create a 1-1 white and black spirit creature token with flying. You gain four life. So those are the four modes. And it also has Entwine 3, where you get to choose all of the modes if you pay the Entwine cost. So at that point, it is a six mana spell. And I've got this as a Believe. I like this card a lot. It's a nice modal spell. I think it's pretty good against Dredge. 
I think it's pretty good against burn. I think it can even have some play against mid-range. My question, though, is who exactly is playing this? Whether it's Mardu, a tokens deck, maybe a future aristocrats deck. I have some suspicions, but I don't want to be the guy who undervalues a three-mana choose-two modal spell that scales later in the game. I'll be that guy. So I'll tell you who's going to be playing this, and that's going to be me. <laughs> I'll be playing what this deck. Card. Can I interest you in a deck called Bridgevine? Yeah, I w- not Bridgevine. <laughs> I, I think that this could be another card that goes into kind of like Esper Control. Basically, Ooh. Shaheen Sarani wrote an article about talking about all the different uses for it. I think you should check it out on Star City Games if you have a membership and want to read that. Um, I think it's just kind of like there used to be a card called Blessed Alliance that got a lot of play. Uh, and it had many of these same modes. It had sacrifice an attacking creature. This has sacrifice a creature. It had gain for life. This also has gain for life. This has the added utility of getting rid of somebody's graveyard. And so I think in a kind of one or two-ish quantity, this card could be worth just having around because like Stan pointed out, it's a pretty good Swiss army knife that does a lot of different stuff. Yeah. In some ways, a better, not in some ways, it's a better command, right? Because it has the choose two, but then also if you want, you could choose them all. I'm going to get blown out. I'm going to swing into somebody thinking I have them lethal, and they are going to play this and entwine it and just wreck my life. Yeah, I wish we just got Vindicate, but Kai's Guile is pretty decent. I originally read this as choose one, and I was like, this is trash. Uh, Choose two is a lot better. Choose two instant. Instant speed. Yeah, Yeah, that's much better. Yeah. So we're going to skip over Reap the Pass. We're going to skip Rot Widow Pact. Sorry, Reed. Oh, man. Uh, We're going to skip Ruination Rioter. And we're going to go to Soul Herder to talk about really quickly. And what Soul Herder is, is a very cool spirit that costs one colorless, one white, one blue. The text reads, whenever a creature is exiled from the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on Soul Herder. And at the beginning of your end step, you may exile another target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. It is a one, one. What do you think? Um, I think this card looks like it has a bunch of text on it and feels like a repeatable kind of exile effect could be good an automatic one but i'm unsure what what kind of deck it goes into so i think it's just a belief it joins the club of cards that look like they have flying but do not have flying <laughs> so be mindful of that drives me crazy when that happens yeah exactly because i looked at it, i'm like oh whoa flying oh no wait huh it seems a little fringy to me i can once again can envision a card like this being played in against the odds video it just seems a little slow it's three mana and a one one and like it can get big quick but three mana for a one one's pretty bad value yeah i'm like a believe minus i think it's against the odds tier i'm sleeving this card it's funny how different some of our takes have been in this episode where I'm the only heaver, or in this case, I'm the only sleever, because I think this card is super dope. I want to preface that there's a lot of eyes on what are the new decks that emerge from this set, because this set is so powerful, and this is one of the cards that I'm looking at as a tool for something new, probably some kind of blink strategy, which we've been alluding to throughout this episode and maybe the last one. I think it's above against the odds tier, because it's three mana, and the effect happens every turn for free. I like this card in decks that run Wall of Omens. I think it's really interesting in decks that have Vendillion Click, as well as Reflector Mage, um, even Blade Splicer, and maybe even Thought Knot Seer. So I'm surprised you guys aren't as enthusiastic as I am. Maybe I'm being a little too optimistic or too hopeful even, but although it does die easily, I think it really only needs to flicker one permanent to potentially be worth a card. It's kind of like a mini Brago. 
right? Isn't this what Brago King Eternal does essentially? But it, you can actually attack with him. Is Brago modern legal? No, not modern. There we legal. go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I meant though. Is that oh they brought that effect in in a repeatable? I got you. I got yeah. you. So next, this will be our last multicolored card. Is Unsettled Mariner. Yeah. Which is one white, one blue for a 2-2 creature shapeshifter. So it's a changeling, so it's every creature type. Whenever you or a permanent you control becomes a target of a spell or an ability an opponent controls, counter that spell unless that controller pays one. I feel like you might have something you want to stress here, Zach. Uh, this is a very ridiculously good card because it is not just creatures, it is permanents you control. When they try to field to ruin you, sometimes yep. they're not going to be aware of that, and you go, okay, pay one mana. And they go, oh, I tapped wrong. Uh-huh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, sure, you sure did. Fun. Yeah. yeah th- think about like a Searing Blaze that costs like two mana more. It, exactly. I hit it. Okay, pay one. No. <laughs> Is it, like, it, yeah, it's just so good. <laughs> yeah, we have two very powerful tribal decks right now in Spirits and Humans that easily slot a number of this in. I don't know how many. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's two. Hell, maybe it's four. I don't know. I am a... Yeah. A Brewer's Dozen, please. Yeah, it's also like whenever you are a permanent. So like, you know, it, it taxes Karn Liberated, both the plus and the minus. Yeah, this card is just so good. Yeah, I'm a sleever for sure. It's it's I, I looked at it and I went, oh, this is kind of good. And like the more I thought about it, the more I talked to you about it, Shane, the more I talked to people online about it, it just kept getting, like text didn't change. I just kept opening my eyes more and more to what that actually meant in terms of what modern is. Yeah, this card's dope. I love this card. I'm pro- I'm probably going to pre-order four, even though I don't know if you play four. Um, I think it works in humans. It works in spirits. It works in you know some mythical blue-white merfolk build. It works in like a blue-white taxes build. I'm just I just keep imagining the scenario where I have this on board with uh, Thalia and Kira, great glass spinner, <laughs> and the opponent's like, so how much do I have to pay, and how many times do I have to pay? Okay, like that's just what I want to have happen. Oh yeah, I'm I'm yeah, a this is dope. I'm a total sleever. This card is going to see so much play. I also like it potentially out of control sideboards in matches when you take out your wraths. I think this could be good in, against some of those decks cuz like I'm not bringing this in against humans even though humans might be bringing this in against me. I'm not sure current taxes decks can play it, but a taxing hate bear that makes your cards harder to interact with is just so obviously playable. I also really like the positive interaction with Spell Pierce and Logic Knot as well. So, big fan. And what I mean in terms of the relationship between this and Spell Pierce and Logic Knot is if the opponent is paying the tax to destroy one of your spells for more than whatever their removal target is, and you cast something like Spell Pierce, they might not have the mana up to pay the additional Spell Pierce tax as well. So, it's kind of fringy, but maybe in the early turns of the game where you know you've just cast your two drop, this could get there. Wow, so I'm the only person who has this as a belief. Yeah, but don't you want to change it to sleeve after hearing our take? So here's the thing. is Dave, that it's I, any permanent. Any permanent. It is any permanent. I'm just trying and to you. figure out if this is main main deck or if this is sideboard and it, what the quantity is because Kira is really a pain to play against in the deck that she appears in, but I think that's the, like the most clear substitution that's going to go on with this card, so I don't know. I just don't know how many you're actually going to play. But. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a good card, though. Very, very good card. So next up, um, we're into the artifacts. We have Arkham's Astrolabe. Astrolab? So I originally had this as a heave until I remembered that single mana rocks are extremely rare. Um, so what Arkham's Astrolabe is, is 
snow mana symbol. Snow can be paid with one mana from a snow permanent. When Arkham's Astrolab enters the battlefield, draw a card, one and tap, add one mana of any color. So this is pretty decent. I think that it's, I originally had it, have it, had it as a heave, but it's cheap and it does some mana filtering for you. Is it, I mean, like, this isn't really a mana rock, is it, Zach? In the right deck, this is better than like a chromatic star or all those things you run in Tron, right? Because it comes into play and it doesn't die when it makes the mana. So you draw the card and then you can keep filtering over and over again. Yeah, that's a good point. I really, really like this card. I think it's cool. I'm a believer. Yeah, this is going to be the... Until we get better fixing, this is going to be some of the glue that holds together multicolored snow decks. I am running three currently, and we'll see if I go up or down. But it is an egg that doesn't have to crack itself. So it draws a card, and then it just keeps going on filtering. It's the hen. Oh, baby, it's Lano. Yeah, so I'm I'm a believer... This is the type of card I defer to Zach's expertise. The fact that it replaces itself and is a relevant permanent type is super important. That's why I'm not going to heave it. The reason I'm a little skeptical is because it gets you down on a mana when you're using it. But, you know, maybe the right deck doesn't really care about that. And you're probably not activating that every turn. So it's not a huge setback over the course of the game. But that tax is not insignificant. So I have this as a heave it. Sorry, everybody. Um, no, Zach, I come think... back. Zach, don't storm out. What do you... No, he didn't mean it. Now, the only reason I have it as a heavit is because I don't think this is a card, again, that you can run for value. I think it's got to be a card where you're just counting snow permanents for a, a good payoff, right? So if you are trying to get the snowy toxic deluge to work <laughs> or you're trying to get Merit Lage's slumber to work, I think this is a fine card in the sense that it lets you draw a card for a single snow. That is fine. It's good for Scred, too, even. There's not a lot of turn one plays in that deck. So, yeah, I mean, if that if that's a, a thing there, I guess that could make sense, although that feels a little more like getting it for value, you know what I mean, instead of yeah. something that's a big payoff. But uh, so that's kind of why I have it as a heave. I think there's probably other things you want to do. All right, we're moving on to the lands right now. So we're going to go ahead and save the cycling ones for last and talk about the cycle collectively. We are going to be skipping over Cave of Temptation. That's more of a limited card than anything. We're going to talk about Hall of Heliod's Generosity, though. So Hall of Heliod's Generosity is a legendary land. It taps for a colorless. that has the other ability, one and a white, tap. Put target enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your library. So this is an enchantment version of Academy Ruins, essentially or an enchantment version of Volrath, Stronghold, etc. I think this is a pretty powerful effect. I can't think of anything that it breaks right away, but it took a little bit of time for Academy Ruins to have the infinite combo that it has right now as well. So I think it'll be some brewing, some more cards will come out. This is a powerful card to keep your eye on. I'm going to believe it. Why is Heliod generous in this card? He killed Elspeth. It's not, Spoilers. Very, not very generous. But he also like is an ally to human in the way that Zeus was. That's the whole thing. Like, he... He is helping you. He's giving you an enchantment back. I'm sure he's getting something out of it, too. There's yeah. two sides to every story, Dave. Heliod right. did nothing wrong. Elspeth Gate. <laughs> uh, I'm going to believe it on this card. I think it's just clearly a value engine. Someday someone will use it for something good. For sure. It's interesting. I'm sure there's some enchantment-based decks that want to recur some enchantments. I'm not an expert in this field, so believe. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that this is not for Boggles. They really can't handle the colorless, and it's not worth putting enchantments on top. I, I think that's sort of a trap to fall into, where it's, oh, enchantment deck wants this. A very certain kind of enchantment deck wants this. Yeah. 
That makes sense to me. There is an Enchantress deck on the fringes of modern, so maybe this will get slotted into there. Don't speak its name. Aren't there some enchantment-based prison strategies? Ghostly prison? Yeah, and they and they usually are based in white as well. And that and that's the Enchantress deck that I'm referring to. It's like it's it's based in white. I think it maybe splashes blue, but do not speak its name. Do not give it power. I mean, the the reason I'm a believer is because people are going to test this card. Whether or not it's strong enough remains to be seen. But the ability getting tacked onto a land, which you can activate at instant speed, is uh, pretty impressive. So, so we have the cycling lands up next. They begin with Baron Moor. Forgotten Cave is after that. Lonely Sandbar. Secluded Step. And then finally, Tranquil Thicket. Way to, way to end the set review with a basic land <laughs> or a mostly basic land. Yeah, so one in each color. They come into play tap and you can cycle them for one of their color. Oh, these are good. These are yeah, really these are good. these are very good. Eh. So what makes them good? Let's, let's go over what makes these good, right? So, I mean... I'm going to stick to my dredge guns again. And so, like, let's say Forgotten Cave, for instance, right? So that's the red one. That can see play and dredge. You can you can cycle it to get yourself a draw, or it just is in your graveyard already. You can uh, get it back with a light from the loam and then cycle it away for, like, a surprise uh, dredge draw. So these are going to be played. I was originally on Believe, but I have since switched to Sleeve simply because of the utility and the handiness of them yeah i think not all of them are going to see play right away and it might take some time for some of the other ones i know for sure that baron moore is a very good card uh it's wild how many cards from the mono black control deck and popper found their way over to modern via this set they're really missing oublia and uh, kumbajai witches are the only cards that aren't modern available right now there's no ash barons oh fine 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 anyway baron moore as someone who has played Popper and played that deck, it is very good. These cards are, I think they're very easy to undervalue when you don't play with them. But when you're in top deck mode and you draw one of these and it turns into a real card, you feel very good. It's a very fun thing to get. So you think that these cards just get run for value in decks that don't have too heavy mana fixing requirements, kind of? I think that's part of it. And I think that's sort of my style of magic that I play and what I like the most. I know that there are tons of other uses for them, but I think that on a base level, if you're in a monocolored deck that goes to the mid game, as I like to talk about all the time, is what I do, you can run these. Yeah. So do you think a deck, for example, like Martyr Proc runs the white one because it's a monocolor deck that um, maybe doesn't need to really be aggro. It's sort of doing a control thing. Yeah. I think it, if it doesn't have to do any snow shenanigans, which it doesn't at the moment, for sure. Okay. I'm a believer. I don't think these cards will be super ubiquitous. Like, I don't think they're all going to see play. I don't think all that many decks are going to want this effect. Definitely worth testing. Dredge, Ren and Six, maybe other monocolor strategies as we talked about will find these useful. But I actually found them kind of hard to evaluate because it seems like small value that is only going to be useful in maybe a few decks, if that. Like, even the decks that run it, I don't know if the decks that are going to run these will do four of a single color or, you know, or, or scale up if they're multicolored decks. No, no way. It's probably a two of, and, and at least the way I'm describing it, those decks are running it as a two of. So I'm only interested in cards that I can have the full playset. <laughs> Listen, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a believe on these. I just think they're kind of like nice utility to have around, and there's probably some deck that's going to run just lots of them. Sure. Like, 
astral drift if that's good or something like that man this deck is shaping this astral drift deck is shaping up to be so slow (laughs) there's a lot (laughs) of cycling in this in this set isn't there i mean i know people love cycling but maybe that's something that they felt like was just missing from modern so they wanted to bring even more over Mm. sure why not (sighs) we did it i can't believe we did it. it yeah Guys, this has been awesome. Uh, this is a novel thing we get to do together. Uh, we had aspirations of doing a wind-down question this week, but I think the second half went longer than we all expected. So I think what we should do is have kind of a Modern Horizons sort of 30,000-foot view. Like, what do we think this is going to do to the format? What do we think uh, we want to experiment with? What kind of cards are we most into? And then do a bunch of listener questions because people are really interested in um, talking about this and experimenting with it just like we are so uh we'll be back next week right so yeah we're really excited we've got a ton of amazing questions from our patreon a lot of really thoughtful and just interesting things that i honestly want to give more than a few seconds to or a few minutes to at the end of a a wind down and some things that i I really want to just you know stretch my games over so we'll be back with a mailbag episode i'm actually really excited for it all right sounds good and that wraps up this week's show congrats on doing an entire set review for the first time guys this was really fun. Glad we don't have to do these four or five times a year. I'm going to light some incense to St. Marshall, the the yeah. value-oriented, after this. <laughs> My gosh, how do they do this? If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episode as soon as it comes out every Friday. And if you use iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast for the upcoming mailbag episode or on any topic in modern, you can pick our brain by tweeting us at the dive down, all one word, emailing us at the dive down at gmail.com. Or if you join our Patreon, you can access our Slack and send us messages that way. If you'd like to support our show via Patreon, you can find that at patreon.com slash the dive down. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and send us your questions! Looks like evil Dr. Manhattan. It does look like a tiny, <laughs> tiny evil Dr. Manhattan. Wasn't Dr. Manhattan evil, though? Kind of? We don't need to get into the morality of what he yeah, did on this, this podcast. Is, this, is a, this is a deep moral argument. He was sort of like lawful neutral, kind of. I don't, th- I don't think... I don't want to talk he's almost, about He's that. almost true neutral. Yeah. I thought... I would I say chaotic neutral. Mm, chaotic neutral. Because he still had massive power. Okay. Good talk.